Hello, friends. It's April 3rd, and this is the One Year Bible Tour, and we're happy to have you on today's leg of the journey as we make our way through the Old and New Testaments in one year. My name is David McAdam, and I have the honor of reading the scriptures with you and serving as a tour guide. We make daily stops as our journey takes us through portions of the Old and New Testaments, also taking refreshment from the Book of Psalms and Proverbs. This year, I am reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version, with the one-year Bible format published by Tyndale. As we travel through the books of Moses, we hit all kinds of terrain, don't we? And because we experience a time and culture gap separated by thousands of years, the going can get tough at times. This is especially true as we come to laws that sound very strange to our ears. I want to help you get both an accurate assessment of what the word meant to its original hearers and how it speaks to us who recognize that much here is a forerunning shadow of the perfection which is to come in Christ in the New Testament of God's grace. We are now in the book of Deuteronomy, the last of the books of Moses. Moses is reiterating the law and giving God's commands that will protect the worship of the community as they go into a very corrupt pagan culture. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, which we will be reading, we learn that there are certain restrictions pertaining to who could enter into the tabernacle and offer the purity of worship required. It is important to note that this discrimination did not have to do with the inherent worth of the individual. It also did not mean that these individuals were excluded from society. These laws were picturing what a holy assembly looked like. These restrictions metaphorically pictured what the Lord was looking for in the service of the tabernacle. As these passages were understood in their historical context, eunuchs were excluded from the tabernacle who were deliberately made eunuchs, probably in dedication to foreign gods and those who had official positions under foreign governments. We find that rules were given forbidding deliberate bodily mutilation as it was associated with paganism. Later on in the book of Isaiah, there will be the prediction that in the future, eunuchs who did what pleased the Lord would have a better name than the sons and daughters of Israel. So that understanding gives us some context. Those whose reproductive organs were damaged were not admitted into the assembly of the Lord because the norm for the ministry of Christ, that was, his life was to be reproduced in the lives of others. Fruitfulness is expected of true worshipers. Jesus said in the upper room in John chapter 15, verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name he may give you. There were also laws that dealt with the offspring of cult prostitutes or of the promiscuous sexual practices related to the fertility rites of Canaan. So now that we are reminded of the context, let's continue reading the book of Deuteronomy, beginning with chapter 23. Those excluded from the assembly. Verse 1. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. No one born of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. 
even to the tenth generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam the son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever. You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you were a sojourner in his land. Children born to them in the third generation may enter the assembly of the Lord. Uncleanness in the camp. When you are encamped against your enemies, then you shall keep yourself from every evil thing. If any man among you becomes unclean because of a nocturnal emission, then he shall go outside the camp. He shall not come inside the camp. But when evening comes, he shall bathe himself in water, and as the sun sets, he may come inside the camp. You shall have a place outside the camp, and you shall go out to it. And you shall have a trowel with your tools, and when you sit down outside, you shall dig a hole with it, and turn back and cover up your excrement because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give up your enemies before you. Therefore your camp must be holy, so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. Miscellaneous Laws You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst, in the place that he shall choose within one of your towns, wherever it suits him. You shall not wrong him. None of the daughters of Israel shall be a cult prostitute, and none of the sons of Israel shall be a cult prostitute. You shall not bring the fee of a prostitute or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord your God in payment for any vow, for both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but you may not charge your brother interest, that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you shall not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, and you eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Laws Concerning Divorce Chapter 24 When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and become another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife, after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. 
and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Miscellaneous Laws When a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty. He shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife whom he has taken. No one shall take a mill or an upper millstone in pledge, for that would be taking a life in pledge. If a man is found stealing one of his brothers of the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave or sells him, then that thief shall die, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Take care, in a case of leprous disease, to be very careful to do according to all that the Levitical priests shall direct you. As I commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt. When you make your neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not go into his house to collect a pledge. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. And if he is a poor man, you shall not sleep in his pledge. You shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets, that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you. And it shall be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless, or take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field, and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore I command you to do this. Chapter 25 If there is a dispute between men, and they come into court, and the judges decide between them, acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty, then if the guilty man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence with a number of stripes in proportion to his offense. Forty stripes may be given him, but not more, lest if one should go on to beat him with more stripes than these, your brother be degraded in your sight. You shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. Laws Concerning Leveret Marriages if brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in to her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out in Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him, 
and if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, and pull his sandal off his foot, and spit in his face. And she shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. Miscellaneous Laws When men fight with one another, and the wife of the one draws near to rescue her husband from the hand of him who is beating him, and puts out her hand and seizes him by the private parts, then you shall cut off her hand, your eye shall have no pity. You shall not have in your bag two kinds of weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house two kinds of measures, a large and a small. A full and fair weight you shall have, a full and fair measure you shall have, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. For all who do such things, all who act dishonestly, are an abomination to the Lord your God. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary, and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you, in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. And this is the end of our reading from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy for today. Now let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we've read. As we read through the Bible, it is good to keep in mind these SMART goals. S-M-A-R-T, SMART. S stands for What Does the Bible Say? M. What does the passage mean to its target audience in historical context? A. How does the passage apply to us in the light of the gospel? R. How does it relate to the person and work of Christ and the new covenant of God's grace? And then T. How are we to teach these truths to whom we can teach them? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 7, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. So that's the SMART goals. What does it say? What does it mean? How does it apply? How does it relate to the finished work of Christ? And T, how are we to teach it? The Apostle Paul reminds us that the account of the Israelites in the wilderness is written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. 1 Corinthians 10.11 We do not look to the law of Moses for our right standing with God, but to Jesus Christ. He is the one who, as God, gave the law. He became man, was born under the law, lived under the law, interpreted the law, and fulfilled the law on our behalf. In the New Testament book of Romans we read, To us who believe, he, that is Jesus, is the end of the law. Romans 10.4 For he is the Lord our righteousness. In Jeremiah 23 verse 6 in Jeremiah 33, verse 16. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Romans chapter 8, verse 3 reads, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
The law has value for us, even though we are no longer under the law. It is a revelation of the righteousness of God. It is a foreshadowing of the living righteousness we see in Christ. Rather than living under the law of Moses, the one who fulfilled the law of Moses, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, he now lives in us by the Holy Spirit. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit turns the law of God into a promise. In Christ, the righteous demands of the law are fulfilled for us. In the Spirit, the righteous demands of the law are fulfilled in us. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus motivates and animates our lives, bringing forth the fruit of righteousness. So let's look at the laws of entrance into the assembly in this light. Those born of a forbidden marriage were excluded. This is a metaphoric picture for us in the New Testament as well. What is born of the flesh, that is the old Adamic nature, is flesh, but what is born of the Spirit is spirit. We are to be joined to the Lord in a God-ordained relationship of exclusive devotion to Christ through the Holy Spirit. We are not to be joined to another in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 16-17. to 17. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to, Jesus said, they are spirit and they are life. Both the Ammonite and the Moabite people were forbidden to enter the assembly. They had mistreated the Israelites and sought to bring down the house of Israel through spiritual seduction involving both immorality and idolatry. This speaks to us in the New Testament as well. There is to be no alliance of friendship with the world or that which is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-16, to 16, there is to be no alliance with that which wants to bring down the house of God. In James chapter 4, verse 4, we read, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There is much mercy in these laws. The book of Ruth is a story of a Moabitess, a woman born outside the covenant promises. Though an enemy of the people of God by birth, after she is made a widow, she makes a decision to cast her lot with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and trust the God of Israel, the keeper of the promises. Despite the legal restrictions that would keep her from entering into the assembly, she lays claim to the merciful provisions in the law for foreigners, such as the right to glean in the fields of the harvesters. Through the laws of the Leveret marriage, she is grafted into the covenant people of God and restores the lost inheritance of the household of Elimelech, literally meaning, God is my king. Through her marriage to Boaz, she who was once excluded from the assembly as a Moabitess becomes a part of the house of Israel, the mother of Obed, the great-grandmother of King David, and the ancestor of the Messiah. By grace, she is included in the royal lineage of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, and Luke chapter 3, verse 32. Verse 14 reminds us of our call to holiness as the people of God. It is a call to purity and compassion. Since the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to defeat your enemies before you, therefore your camp must be holy, and he must not see anything indecent among you, or he will turn away from you. The Bible acknowledges the sad existence of slavery in this broken world and the fact that God's people had experienced themselves slavery in Egypt. Yet nowhere in the Bible is slavery commended by God. Instead, we read in Deuteronomy 23, verse 15, 
you shall not hand over to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. We see an example of this when the Apostle Paul writes to a former slave owner, Philemon, and asks him to receive back his runaway slave forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Philemon chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. When former slave trader John Newton was converted, he repented of his sin. He had Deuteronomy 24, verse 22 written out in large letters and hung over his mantelpiece. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, therefore I am commanding you to do this thing. Further social laws are given in Deuteronomy chapter 23. Laws forbidding prostitution in verse 17, forbidding charging interest on a loan to a brother in verse 19, and the command that everyone performs their vows, that they keep their word in verse 23. The law reminds us that we can enjoy the prosperity of others without selfishly claiming them or taking advantage of them in verses 24 to 25. We also come across the law pertaining to divorce and marriage. It was this passage of Scripture found in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, that the Pharisees had in mind when they asked Jesus, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? In Matthew 19, verse 3. In Jesus' day, there were two rabbinical schools, each interpreting this law differently. The liberal view of divorce, believing that divorce was permissible, quote, for any reason at all, unquote, was upheld by the school of Hillel, the more conservative view that divorce was permitted only for something as serious as adultery was put forth by the school of Shammai. If it were actually a case of adultery, under the law of Moses, the offenders would have been stoned and a divorce would not be necessary. When Jesus answers the Pharisees, he does not quote a rabbi. Instead, he clarifies that these laws were given due to the heartlessness existent in both men and women. The practice of putting away wives was already common in Moses' day. This law was designed to regulate a practice that was not ordained by God. This law still viewed divorce and remarriage as a defilement in verse 4. God hates divorce in Malachi chapter 2 verse 16. Yet the law protected women from being abused by husbands who failed to love, provide, and protect them. Jesus, as the lawgiver himself, calls his followers to a higher understanding. In the same spirit in which Jesus had contrasted his teaching with the law, you have heard it said, but I say to you, he brings us back to the mind of God expressed in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 24, clarifying that marriage is intended to be a community of oneness, birthed by God, a lasting one-flesh unit, a holy covenant relationship between a man and a woman. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Matthew chapter 19, verse 5. It is important to remember that divorce is not the unforgivable sin. A newly married man was to spend a year at home before being sent away in the army or sent on official duty. This did not mean that they were to take the year off from all responsibilities. The law affirmed that a young groom should give priority to the happiness of his wife, nurture the relationship, and begin a family. A husband drafted into the army or on official duty was in danger of not returning. To ensure that there was time to conceive a child to continue the family line, the husband was not to be sent away for a year. Just as conjugal rights were being upheld by the law, so also the right to earn a living. Therefore, the means of making a living were not to be taken as security for a loan. In chapter 24, verse 6, special laws were given forbidding the evil practice of kidnapping, 
protecting the rights of property owners, and safeguarding public health when there were known cases of infectious diseases. Deuteronomy 24, verses 8 and 9. The Lord gave laws to ensure the protection of employees and provisions for the poor and vulnerable, such as orphans, foreigners, and widows. In regard to criminal justice, there were limits put upon administered punishments. For example, a maximum of 39 stripes were to be given if a person was sentenced to be whipped. The ox that treads out the grain is not to be muzzled, in chapter 25, verse 4. Not only does this law protect the animal and provide for its well-being, but the law applies to workers. The Apostle Paul applies this to the man who labors in spiritual things, insisting that his material needs should be taken care of, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 9-11. through 11. The law of a leveret marriage ensures that the allotted inheritance belonging to a family of a tribe of Israel will be passed on to future generations. If a husband dies without an heir, his widow is to marry a brother or a near relative. Their first child of the new marriage is to preserve the name of the dead brother, Deuteronomy 25, verses 5-10. through In the book of Ruth, we see how this law is applied to restore the name of the deceased Elimelech, meaning God is my king, to the people of Israel. Elimelech leaves Israel to live in Moab. There he dies along with his two sons. One daughter-in-law, Ruth, returns with Elimelech's widow to Israel. Naomi is too old to bear a child. Ruth is refused by a closer relative, and therefore there is a ceremony at the town gate in which he takes off his sandal, which is a symbol of his relinquishing any land rights belonging to the deceased relative. Boaz, a kinsman, then consents to marry Ruth. Some protest that Leviticus chapter 20, verse 21 forbade a man from marrying his brother's wife. That law only applies if his brother were still alive. So the laws do not contradict each other. Amalek proved to be an enemy to Israel in Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 15. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 to 19, Moses reminds the Israelites to blot out the memory of Amalek. Just as we have seen with Ammon and Moab, Amalek becomes a type of the flesh, which produces its deadly works. We read about this in the book of Galatians. For example, in chapter 5, verse 17, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to each other, so that you may not do the things that you please. Again, we see how the flesh is in opposition to the spirit in Romans chapter 13, verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. In Romans chapter 8, verse 7, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Now let's go to the New Testament, chapter 10 of the Gospel of Luke, beginning with verse 13. Jesus is predicting doom to those who are rejecting his message. Luke 10:13. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The seventy-two returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, 
Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and any one to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly, Do this and live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, do you think, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. And this is the end of our reading from the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament. The deity of Jesus is evident in the bold claims he makes in this passage. To start with, Jesus claims to know what will happen at the final judgment. In Luke chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, he says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes but it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. Jesus goes on to make claims that establish his divine authority. He claims that anyone who rejects the message or the messenger he sends is rejecting him. He claims that anyone who rejects him rejects God. He also claims to have witnessed the occasion of Lucifer's fall in verse 18. He claims that he has authority over Satan and has the right to delegate that authority to his followers, in verse 19. He says that the Father has entrusted everything to himself. The Apostle Paul would explain that the complete content of deity existed in Christ, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, and chapter 2, verse 9. He made known the Father, and the Father dwelled in him. Jesus said, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, in John chapter 6, verse 57. And he who sent me is with me, in John 8, verse 29. The Father is in me, 
and I in the Father. John chapter 10, verse 38. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? John chapter 14, verse 10. And in John chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus prays for those who will believe on him, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. Jesus also claims that only he has the authority to decide to whom he will reveal the Father, in verse 22. Any perception of these spiritual truths is a gift of God's grace, in verses 21 through 24. In Luke chapter 10, verse 34, Jesus is tested by an expert in the law who asked the question, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds to the question with a question. What is written in the law? How does it read to you? The expert in the law replies, quoting the great commandment. And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. In Luke chapter 10, verses 27 through 28. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. He answered correctly, but couldn't do it. In fact, no one can do it. We cannot do anything to inherit eternal life. Someone has to do it for us. We have all failed to keep the great commandment of loving God and neighbor. Therefore, we are in the wrong with God and need to be put in the right. This is what it means to be justified, to be put in the right with God by God. Yet this man sought to justify himself. His excuse for his failure to love God with his whole being and his neighbor as himself is that he does not know who his neighbor is. Jesus explains that his neighbor is the person in front of you, nearby you, or a person from afar, a person whom in a given moment you can help. We often think of the story Jesus tells as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus never calls it that. In fact, he never calls the Samaritan good, nor does he call any man good in Matthew chapter 19, verse 17, and Mark chapter 10, verse 18. Luke calls him a certain Samaritan. In this story, a man was going down on the road to Jericho from Jerusalem and is beaten by robbers and left half dead. The locals from Jerusalem, the priest and the Levite, see the man in need but pass by on the other side. A man far away from home and a man who is traditionally despised by the Jews, a Samaritan, sees the man who has been beaten is moved with compassion, bandages his wounds, pours oil and wine on them, and puts him on his own beast. He cancels his plans, brings him to an inn, and stays overnight to take care of him. On the next day, he gives his money to the innkeeper, instructing him to continue to take care of the man, and, no matter what the cost, put it on his tab. Jesus asked, Which man proved to be a neighbor? The lawyer responded, The one who showed mercy on him. Jesus said, Go and do the same. The man who showed mercy was not the man you would expect. He would not be considered a law-abiding religionist. Yet he exhibited compassion, a love for neighbor that is born out of the love of God. We see Jesus as the certain Samaritan. The Jews looked down upon Samaritans. Jesus was not esteemed by the Levite or priest, but he proves to be a neighbor to us who have been subject to the fall, beaten up, and left half dead. We are totally dead spiritually, even though our physical bodies may be alive. Jesus demonstrates not only the sacrifice that brings us back to life, but His salvation provides unlimited resources for our care. Thank God for this kind of love. Now let's go on to our next reading stop in our Bible tour to the book of Psalms. Psalm 75 
And reading Psalm 75 today is Glenn Wagner. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks, for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. Thank you for reading. Psalm 75 is one that anticipates victory. God is in control. His timing is perfect. He is the judge, and his judgments are just in verse 2. It is he who sovereignly puts down one and exalts another in verse 7. He will uphold righteousness, and the cup of wrath is in his hand. Now for today's proverb, Proverbs chapter 12, Verse 12. Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. From the fruit of his mouth a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. The writer of these Proverbs is contrasting the desires and habits of someone who is walking with God in righteousness and someone who is not. One desires the plunder of evil men. The other desires to feed others the fruit of their relationship with God. One's tongue continually gets them into trouble. The other knows how to avoid or escape trouble. One enjoys the consequences of their good words that are followed by action. The other experiences the consequences of their evil deeds. Now let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves before your word, knowing that it is true, pure, and perfect. It is all-sufficient and trustworthy. We thank you for the word made flesh. Lord Jesus, we embrace you by faith as our all and in all. We rest in your provision of a finished work of redemption. You are all our righteousness. Holy Spirit, reveal the righteous life of Christ within us and express his life through us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for listening today, and we certainly are grateful for the opportunity to be experiencing God's Word together as we read it. And we look forward to you being with us tomorrow. You can tell others to join our journey as we go through the Bible and the one-year Bible tour. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. Any comments, you can contact us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like to get a written transcript of the commentary, you can go subscribe at newlife.org, our website, and learn more about our ministries. May you know the blessing of his presence today as you go in peace. Shalom. Shalom.